and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him shall you serve only. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, gracious God, we do thank you once again for this privilege and opportunity. Come as your people, hungry and needy, Father. Oh, Lord, I pray for this whole congregation, Lord. You know each and every one of our lives, and you know the different trials and temptations we face during the week ourselves. You know the areas of our struggles. You know the areas of our strengths. And Father, you know that as you called us to this life to follow you, it is not without its trials and temptations. But we thank you that you give us the strength to overcome. Oh, Lord, we humbly bow before you now and just ask, oh God, that you would just open our hearts and our minds to hear from you today. Holy Spirit, speak to us. We pray that uh, you would anoint me, my head, my mind, my lips, my tongue, that I would speak forth your word with clarity, with conviction. I pray that my tone and my heart and passion would be compelling. And I pray, dear Lord, that in all of this, you, Jesus Christ, would be lifted up and glorified and honored to here today. We thank you, Lord, for being the champion who went into the wilderness and who confronted Satan and, Lord, who resisted all of those temptations so that you could be our head, our federal head, our who we are in you, O oh Lord Jesus Christ, and through you, O oh Lord, we have victory over the enemy. We pray, O oh now, Holy Spirit, overshadow this entire service and we pray for your honor and glory's sake that you be glorified here today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There's an old folk story of the Texas bandit, Jose Rivera. He had become notorious in several little towns in Texas for robbing their banks and businesses. Finally, 
The different townsfolks were weary of the constant plundering, and they hired a Texas Ranger to track down Rivera. And he tracked him down into Mexico in one of his hideouts. His goal was to retrieve the money. The ranger at last arrived at a desolate ramshackle cantina. And at the counter, he saw a young man enjoying a, a beer. At one of the tables, hands over his large stomach and hat over his eyes, was snoring another patron. With much gusto, the ranger approached the young man at the bar and announced he was on a mission to bring back Joe Rivera, Jose Rivera, dead or alive. Can you help me find him, he asked. The young man smiled and pointed at the old man in the corner with the big belly and said, there's Jose Rivera. Texas Ranger shifted his girth and, and trucked right over to Rivera and confronted the bandit. He says, are you Jose Rivera? The man muttered. He says, I don't speak English. And the ranger beckoned to the young man. He says, well, you certainly speak English. I need you to translate for me. And so the ranger used the barkeeper as a translator and said, I want you to tell Rivera that I'm here to arrest him. He's either coming with me dead or alive. And he says, if he tells me where all the money is and all the loot, I'll let him go. And so the young man tells Rivera what the ranger says. And Rivera, in Spanish, tells the young man exactly where all the money is. He says, if you go outside at the back, there's a well. And by the well, there's a tree. And under the, near the tree stump, there's a hole in the ground. There's a plate covering it. If you lift up the plate underneath the plate, is all the jewels, all the money, all the treasure, let me go. And so the young man looks at the ranger, and the ranger says, well, what did he say? The young man thought for a minute, and he said, Rivera said, shoot me, I'd rather die than tell you where the loot is. Do you get it? He wanted the money. The temptation was too good to resist. And so therefore, he ran off with the money. It's an opening story, and it tells us exactly what we all face every day, and that is we face temptation. We face temptation in every conceivable form because we are sinners by nature. We are sinners by choice. And because of our impulse and desire to sin, to steal, to lie, to cheat, and to do what's wrong, we will always be compelled. And Satan works overtime to tempt us. It's tax season now, and I'm sure the temptation to cheat on our taxes and to lie about our deductions is very large. As women, we will face temptations. You will face temptations, temptations to... Um, in different areas of your life. Men will face temptations in different areas of your life. Children will face different temptations in their life. Temptation is very real. It's part of the human experience. It's how we describe the reality when we are seduced, lured, and drawn away into the attractive short-term pleasures of sin without considering the consequences. We face temptation every single day. James 1, 14 through 15 says this, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, and the desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown forth brings death. 
Temptation is when we are lured and enticed by our own desires. Desires are at the core of temptation. Ephesians 4.22 tells us that those desires are deceitful desires. Why are they deceitful? Because they make false promises. The desires that we have for sinful behavior and, or sinful actions, it breaks a promise that we'll be happy and we'll be satisfied and it'll feel good. And as a result, when we pursue those temptations, the end result is it makes us miserable. There's consequences to sin. But the devil never tells us that. The flesh never tells us that. And certainly, the deceitful desires do not tell us that. We must all confront temptation in one form or another. But thankfully, we have our Lord Jesus Christ who did that for us. He went forward for us. He confronted sin. He came to this world, became a human being. In his incarnation, it wasn't just that he was 100% deity, but he was 100% man. And in his humanity, he experienced everything that we do as human beings, but without sin. And yes, Jesus Christ experienced temptation. It was real temptation. There's different debates within scholars whether Jesus' temptation was real or not. We'll get to that in a little while, but I can tell you it absolutely was. So let's look at this temptation of Christ here in the wilderness and Although I'm looking at the first 14 verses here, this whole passage today as sort of an overview, I will be breaking this down into several smaller sermons as we move forward, looking at each temptation individually. Because there's so much to unpack here, I would hate to just gloss over it in one sermon. I think there's enough here that we could really dig into and that deal with who we are as human beings. Because what Christ experienced in the wilderness he experienced as our representative for all of us. And what he experienced in the wilderness, we experience every day. They're symbolic and representative of the temptations we struggle with on a daily basis. So let's look at our first point in our sermon today. And the first point is, is that we want to know what is the reason or what is the purpose for Jesus' temptation in the wilderness now, we have to acknowledge and recognize the fact that the temptation of Christ in the wilderness is directly connected to his baptism. Last week, we acknowledged and looked at the fact in the week prior that at Christ's baptism, the Heavenly Father spoke from heaven, God the Father spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. God made a declaration to all who were there. He made a declaration to the world so that it's recorded in Scripture that Jesus Christ is beloved by God the Father. There is a, a, a passionate love and commitment and joy the Father has for the Son. Not only that, but that the Son is well-pleasing to the Father. It speaks of the unique relationship of Christ to the Father as the only begotten Son of God. And in that declaration to the world, there is going to be a challenge to that declaration. And it tells us in chapter 4, verse 1, 
that Jesus now full of the Holy Spirit, anointed for his messianic ministry as he begins his public ministry, says, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. It was the Holy Spirit that led Jesus into the wilderness. It wasn't the devil who led Jesus into the wilderness. It was the Holy Spirit. This was God's divine purpose and will for Jesus to go into the wilderness. And as he's filled beyond measure with the Holy Ghost, it was God's determined will that he should go there to confront Satan. A couple of things to think about as we see this concept of the wilderness. The, the wilderness would have uh, been the area south of the Jordan, the Negev Desert, and it would have been a horrible place. Mark tells us there were wild animals there and demons. And in ancient Jewish theology, the desert and the wilderness is symbolic. It's a metaphor of sin and evil. It's a place where demons dwell. And this is precisely why Jesus goes there. He's going right to the source of where Satan is to confront the devil and to basically declare war on Satan. And Jesus beginning of his public ministry, he has to make it clear right away what he's here to do and confront our greatest adversary. Not only is he to confront our adversary, not only is he to confront the evil one, but he is going to subject himself to temptations by Satan to prove and validate that he indeed is the beloved Son of God, who is well-pleasing to the Father. The devil, we see this as a period to tempt the Son of God, to be derail him from his messianic ministry, but the Holy Spirit sent Jesus into the wilderness to be tested, to be proved, to demonstrate that he indeed was the Son of God. Of God. Consider this in each of these temptations, at the core of it was questioning and targeting his identity. If you are the Son of God, then turn these stones into bread. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself from this temple. If you are the Son of God, and if you want all these kingdoms, bow before me. It is, a, it is not only a target to his identity, but it is an attack against God the Father. If God is your Father, then will he let you starve to death in this wilderness? If God is your Father, will he let you fall to the ground? And he also offers Jesus the easy way out. At the end of the day, the temptations that Christ confronted in the wilderness were those very same temptations that Adam confronted when he was in the garden. Just as Satan tempts Jesus, are you really the son of God? Is it much different than when Satan said to Eve, did God really say? It is to question 
It is to question the credibility. It is to question the love. It is to question the faithfulness. It is to question, can we trust God? At the core of all temptation, Satan wants us to question God. We can't miss the point that this happened immediately after Jesus' baptism because his baptism is the inauguration of his messianic ministry, his public ministry, and his public declaration and identification with God as the Messiah. But just as Jesus relates to people through baptism, and just as we identify with him in baptism, there is a reality that we face the same type of temptation when we get baptized. Anybody here who I've baptized? How many people here have I baptized? All right, got several people's hands. Every one of you that I baptized, I've probably told you the same thing. What do I warn you is going to happen the day after you get baptized? Anybody? I tell you, Satan's going to come after you. If Satan went after Christ, immediately after he was baptized to challenge his identity and his relationship with God. It is the same thing when you get baptized and I dip you in the tank, I am asking you two questions. Do you renounce Satan, the flesh, the sin, and the world? Yes. Do you surrender your life and commit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ and to live for him? Yes. I now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost and you come up as a new creation, you have publicly declared to a witnessing church that you are a Christian. You are telling not only the world, you are telling the angels, you're telling the devil, I belong to Jesus now. Now you've declared war on Satan and he wants you. He's okay, you're a Christian, we'll see about that. Ask any. Christian, any of you here will recognize and look back over your life. Remember when you were baptized, you felt the heat. I know I did. Are you really a Christian? Just like, just like, just like Satan said to Jesus, are you truly the son of God? Are you truly the son of God? After you get baptized, you'll hear the same thing. Are you really a Christian? You, you, does God really love you? Are you really a believer? Let's see about that. Temptation is real. See, at the end of the day, temptation is a demonic assault on our identity. If you identify as a Christian, the power of darkness is going to seek you out and make you question that identity by acting on your carnal impulses. And many times we fall. Why? Because we doubt that God's our Father. We doubt that God loves us. We doubt that we're his children. We doubt in our identity. And when you have an identity crisis, when you doubt who you are in Christ, that's when sin comes into the picture. When we are tempted, we must always remind ourselves who we are in Christ. As I said last week, we are accepted in the beloved. Never forget that. We are accepted in the beloved. We belong to Jesus. All right, so we looked at the purpose. Jesus went out in there to confront 
Satan, he was there for 40 days. The number 40 is symbolic of preparation. And it also gives us an idea. There's another aspect of it where Israel was tempted uh, for 40 years in the wilderness where Israel failed as as the uh, Old Testament. uh, Israel's related as the son of God. Jesus succeeds, he overcomes. But there's another aspect here. And that is looking to him as the true Adam, the second Adam. You see, where we learned last week, Luke traces the genealogy right back to Adam, the son of God, to remind us that Jesus is the true Adam, the second Adam, the Adam, the head of the human race, that if we are in Christ rather than in Adam, then all of the benefits of Christ's obedience and righteousness fall upon us. We're under his headship. And in order for Jesus to be our second Adam, he needed to resist the very temptations that Adam faced in the Garden of Eden. In fact, everything taking place here is very symbolic and looks back to the Garden. Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, look at verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say to you, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows, listen to this, when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, and you'll know good from evil. And so the woman saw, notice, that the tree was good for food, it was delight to the eyes, and the tree was desired to make one wise. And she took of the fruit, and ate, and she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. And so Satan puts a spin on the whole thing. He lies. He's a master manipulator, master liar. But notice there's three things that are taking place here, right? It says that he knows in the day if you eat it, your eyes will be open. God doesn't want you to know what he knows He's withholding from you knowledge. He's withholding from you your true potential to be godlike. He made you in his image, but he wants to hold you down, guys. He wants you to be subservient to him instead of you being a god yourself. That's at the core of Satan's temptation. And so it says it looked good for food. Well, it, it, it's, I'm going to eat. It's going to fill my belly. And it, and it was good, to, pleasing to the eyes. And it was able to make one wise. First John 2.16, the Apostle John tells us and describes for us all that's in the world. And it really relates to those three things, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. This is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And it's these three principles that come into play in Christ's temptation to wilderness. It, it, it's, ple- it's good for food. 
Turn the stones into the bread. You're hungry. Take care of yourself. You need to eat. Adam and Eve had all the fruit in the garden they could have eaten, but they chose the forbidden fruit, that which God said is mine alone. They didn't, they didn't acknowledge the boundary that was set. They transgressed the boundary. Christ was sent into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted. He was hungry. He was fasting. For 40 days, he had no food. And in his hunger, Satan tempted him with the real desire in his humanity to touch out and eat that bread. It would have satisfied him. But he already had all the food that he could enjoy. He told his disciples in John 6, he says, I have food you don't know about. Because my food is to do the will of the Father. Satan, get behind me. Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Just as Adam was tempted, it was pleasing to the eyes. There was a sense of, well, this is really good. It's attractive and it appealed to his lust in the same way. Satan appeals to the lust of Christ's flesh to get him to desire uh, to, desire to test God uh, for security and, and safety. Oh, does God really love you? Throw yourself from this pinnacle and let's see if he saves you. And status, exalting oneself. This is the pride of life. Eat the fruit and you'll be like God yourself. Bow down and worship me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of this earth. And all of those things, Jesus, resist the devil. Satan, get behind me. You know, the temptation to the quick way to power was one of Satan's greatest assaults in, the tem in this temptation. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world and offered it to him as a quick way. You know, there's nothing quick in life. That's what I've learned. We like the quick way. We live in a world of instant gratification. If I type something in my phone for an answer, if the Wi-Fi signal isn't fast enough, I get frustrated. If Google doesn't circle fast enough, I get frustrated. God does not work that way. God told Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. It took 25 years to happen. And when Abraham grew impatient and he, and he uh, had Hagar bear him a son, he did nothing but bring misery into his life. When you get ahead of God, it does nothing but bring problems into your life. God had promised the son. God the Father promised his son a kingdom. Psalm 279 says this, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Satan was seeking to usurp God the Father and to offer him an inheritance ahead of time, but an inheritance without the cross. Bow before me and I'll give you the nations. You gotta remember, Jesus in his humanity is resisting these temptations. You see, Adam and Eve wanted the quick and easy way too, and they failed. And finally, the temptation for security. When Jesus is taken to the pinnacle of the temple, why the temple? Why didn't he take him maybe to the Roman Colosseum? Why didn't he take him maybe to uh, Alexandria and, 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 and have him stand at the top of Colossus? 
Why the temple? Of course the temple. It's the Father's house. Right? Jesus went into the temple. He says, you're making my Father's house into a den of thieves. He was enraged. Zeal consumed him. Of course Satan is going to take Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple and threaten and challenge him to throw himself off. And what does he do? He quotes scripture. He quotes Psalm 91. Throw yourself from the temple lest you dash your foot against a stone. By the way, the devil knows scripture really well. He knows the scripture better than we do. He knows the meaning. He knows its application. But he also knows how to pervert and twist scripture. Right? Because you read Psalm 91. It talks about God's protective grace. He's saying to Jesus, look, God says he'll protect you. Throw yourself. He'll, He'll save you. The devil is very crafty and clever. But the Bible also says we're not ignorant of the schemes of the devil. He's able to accurately quote scripture verbatim and apply it to any given situation. But that doesn't mean it's true. And Jesus refuted him as well. You see, Adam failed in every single one of these tests in the garden. And that's why Adam sinned. And through his sin, he plunged the whole human race into death. But Christ, in each of these temptations, showed himself victorious, that he would not capitulate to the devil, that he would not fall to the flesh. But through the power of the Holy Spirit and his faith in God, he would be victorious. Remember, in each of these temptations is an assault on Jesus' identity as the beloved Son of God. If the Father really loves you, would he let you starve to death in the wilderness? If the Father really loves you, why would he make you suffer and go to a cruel cross? If the Father really loves you, was he really going to let you fall from that temple and die? But can't you hear those temptations yourself? How often when you're going through it, when you're going through a difficulty, when you're going through a challenge, you're in your own wilderness. You ever feel like you're in the wilderness? Metaphorically speaking, what is going on in my life? It just seems like I'm surrounded by craziness. I feel like demons are assaulting me. I feel like everything around me is going crazy. Where are you, God? I'm starving. Help me. Where are you, Lord? And there's Satan whispering in your ear, if God really loved you, he wouldn't let you live like this. I'm lonely. I need someone in my life. I, I, I'm always alone. I feel sad. God, how come you don't answer my prayer? And Satan's there whispering, if God really loved you, would he make you allow you to live alone? Don't wait for God. Go out and find someone on your own. Who cares if they're Christian or not? Maybe at times we're tempted in other ways. We're tempted with the impulse that we want, want the glory. We want the quick, easy way to things. We, we, want, we, want to, we want to be gods. We want success. We want achievement. But we want to do it apart from the way of God. We want the easy way, the shortcut. Life doesn't work that way. We want to get a step ahead of God. 
Or maybe we challenge God, we test him by doing things that we know not ought to be done, saying, well, God's with me, he'll protect me. I'll go into that risky business. I know I shouldn't do it, but you know what? The Bible says that uh, he doesn't allow the righteous to beg bread. Who put, who put that thought in your head? It's probably the devil. Twisting scripture. Putting God to the test. This brings me to my third and final point. Jesus overcomes Satan. He tells us, we learn that in each of these instances, Christ resists the devil. And in each of those instances, he resists the devil with the greatest weapon of our warfare. Hebrews 4.13, the sword of the spirit, God's word. We have no greater weapon, guys. We have no greater weapon because the devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. He's a deceiver. The devil is great at it. And I can guarantee you at this moment or this week or tomorrow, you will fall for one of the devil's lies. And there's only one way to combat the devil's lies. And that is to be filled with the word of God. The more better you know God's word, the more you're in his word, the more you're going to be able to recognize the lies. You're going to pick up on it right away and you're going to identify it and you're going to say, Satan, you're a liar, get behind me. Thus saith the Lord. Too often it's our lack of biblical knowledge. It's our biblical illiteracy that is the greatest reason why we fall into temptation and sin over and over and over again. But what about Christ? When we look here at his temptation, I go back to the theological question. Did Jesus really experience temptation? After all, if Jesus is, is God incarnate, if he, is, if he possesses full deity then wouldn't it be impossible for God to be tempted? How can God be tempted if he is uh, unable to, to sin? And if that's the case, then what's the point of all this? Jesus has an unfair advantage, right? I, I, if I had, was full and half divine, I could, I don't say half divine, but if I had a divine nature, which the Bible says we do, but you know, we, we look at it as maybe, you know, that this is not true temptation. But I want to make an argument to you here is that it was real because Jesus also had a fully human nature and we cannot confuse the two. They're indivisible but distinct. And as a human being, Jesus experienced everything of what it meant to be a human being. He experienced hunger, he experienced thirst, pain, weariness. Ultimately, he experienced death. And he experienced temptation. And those temptations were real because Jesus had real human desires. 
The difference is that original sin did not penetrate and corrupt him. He did not inherit original sin from Adam, so he experienced true moral freedom. What do I mean by that? Just like Adam in the garden had the freedom to sin or the freedom to not sin, Christ experienced that true freedom as well, which we don't have because we're corrupted by sin. In that sense, Jesus' temptation was real. Let me give you an example. I want you to think of the one person you love in the world more than anyone. Maybe, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your mother, father, your child, think of the one human being you love more than anyone else. If I asked you to go kill them, would you do it? No, you couldn't do it. And the reason why is if I asked you to kill that person, you would say, how could I kill them? Why would I want to kill them? I have no desire to. It would go against everything of who I am. It doesn't mean it's impossible to do. Right? You can easily pick up the gun and you can pull the trigger and kill someone. But you don't want to do it. It would be impossible for you to do. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? In the same way with Jesus. Jesus has the natural ability. It was possible in the sense that he could have sinned, but because of who he is, he didn't want to sin. There was no desire to sin. Jesus was completely free from the bondage of sin. And Jesus always does what's pleasing to the Father. His desire to please the Father is greater than his desire to give in to his temptations. Do you know what the point of all of this is? Is we have a high priest in heaven who knows exactly what we're like. Let me ask you a question. When you're going through a difficult scenario in your life, Usually you like to talk to someone who's been through the same thing, right? Someone that you could connect with, someone that you could relate to. Right? If I'm if I'm struggling with with drug addiction, do I want to talk to a mother of five who's struggling with trying to balance her time? That's not the person I think that I'm gonna to talk to. She might pray for me and help me through it. I want to talk to another person who's a recovering drug addict who's overcome it and who's succeeded and who's can empathize with me who's dealt with those temptations, who's overcome it. Guess what, guys? We have one who could empathize and sympathize with us in every way. Hebrews 4.15 says this, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet he's without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Praise Jesus. But some could say this. How can Jesus know the pressure to sin when he never sinned? If he never experienced sin, 
How could he really know temptation and what it is to sin? Right? If you've never tasted of the fruit, you're not going to be tempted to eat it. Well, neither was Adam and Eve. But as anyone would know, the power of temptation is not really known by those who give in. The power, of, the full power of temptation is only known by the person who resists it. You, you don't know what temptation is if you're always giving into it. But if you fight it, if you resist it, you know how powerful it could be. You know the agony. You know the agony when it comes upon you and you, you want to give in to the sin and you don't. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says. No man knows how bad he is till he's tried very hard to be good. It's a silly idea that good people do not know what temptation means. It's a lie. Only those who resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting against it, not by giving in. You find out the strength of the wind, not by walking with it, but against it. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. This is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness, because their whole life has been shaped by giving in to sin. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows the, to the full what temptation means. He's the only complete realist, end quote. Jesus then felt every pressure, every pain, every power of temptation the same way he did, we do, but did not sin. Praise God. Well, let me bring to a conclusion. We got an overview today of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. And over the next three sermons, I'll be breaking it down a little further as we explore each one specifically. I think there's a lot to unpack here, and it's hard to bring it all into one sermon. But I want to bring you a couple of important takeaways today. Number one, temptation is not about you. It's not about you. It's nothing personal. The devil really doesn't care about you. This is, this is a spiritual battle. It's about Jesus. It's about Christ. And it's about your identity in Christ. Satan is at war. He's at war with Christ. He's at war against God's people. And because you have identified as a Christian, because you have identified as a disciple of Jesus Christ, Satan wants to do everything he can for you to question your identity, to question the fatherhood of God, to question that you're saved, and more importantly, to tarnish your testimony to other people so they, they could say, oh, he's a Christian? What a scoundrel. That God must be fake. That gospel is fake. This is about not about you. It's about Christ. Amen. Temptation is always an assault by Satan and his demons against Christ and your identity to him. If you were to forsake Christ and say, I'm not a Christian anymore and walk out that door today, Satan would leave you alone for the rest of your life. 
It wouldn't bother you no more. I said, he got you. The more you follow Christ, trust me, I know this, the deeper you follow Christ, the more you do for Christ, the more harder you serve Christ, the heat will get turned up. You might get some seasons where you get a little relief, but trust me, the fire will get turned up and you will be tried. You will be tested. But here's the good thing. Turn me your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to In 1 Corinthians 10, 12, it says this, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. There's a warning there. If you think you've got it all together, you listen to this sermon and say, you know what, Bob, that sounds all good and stuff, but I'm never tempted. I'm living the righteous. I'm a straight arrow. I'm doing pretty good. I don't, I don't really fall for anything. I live an upright life every day. I very rarely sin. Well, the first the warning is for you, take heed, you who think you stand lest you fall. That pride comes before a fall and haughty spirit before destruction. But secondly, it says here in verse 13, remember this, guys, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will always provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Just remember that, guys. Whatever temptation you face, Everyone else is going through. You're not going through anything different that someone else didn't go through. You may be unique to you, and you may feel alone, but I guarantee you there's other people going through what you went through, and they've gotten through it. God's not going to put you in a situation beyond your ability. And he always provides the way of scheme. You can never sit there and say, I have no choice, I have to sin. That's a lie. The devil wants you to believe that you'll be in a situation where you're in no choice. I have to sin. I gotta do it. I'm without choice. No, you always have a choice. There's always a choice to walk away. There's always a choice to obey. And that brings me to my last point, my last encouragement to you, is we have the greatest weapon in the world. Two greatest weapons. You have the Holy Spirit God has empowered us by giving us his indwelling Holy Spirit. And just as Christ resisted every temptation through the power of the Holy Spirit, remember, he went into the wilderness filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're in Christ, you've been sealed in the Holy Spirit. You have unlimited power that we could tap into. We have become partakers of the divine nature, Peter tells us. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, not only do we can resist, but we could endure and we can get through it. And we have the Bible. Just as Jesus said, thus saith the Lord, we could do the same thing. We have the greatest weapon of our warfare. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, one book later. Another tenth, another tenth chapter, but another Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter 10. It says in verse 4, or verse 3 rather, 
For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have the divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Hallelujah. We have the weapon of our warfare. We have the sword of the Spirit. My brothers and sisters, recognize this. Satan is real. The devil is real. It's not an illusion. It's not a myth. He hates Jesus Christ. He hates you because you've identified with Jesus Christ. And they, him and his demonic hordes will assault you to get you to renounce Christ. But we have the victory. Remember this. If you feel weary and say, you know, I don't know if I could do it anymore. The beautiful thing is, Christ is going to get you over the finish line. I may feel at times that I can't endure, but the beautiful thing is this, that Christ will not let one of his sheep get lost. All that the Father gives me, I will raise them up on the last day. Praise his holy name that even though we go through this wilderness, even though we're confronted with temptation, Jesus Christ will always have the victory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, O oh Lord God, I thank you that we're your children. Thank you, God, for loving us, for saving us. Jesus, thank you for being our king, our victorious king, our second Adam. We came to destroy the works of Satan. And Lord, we know that the devil is real and we know that he assaults us, but we know that you're greater. And so we look to you, Jesus, to empower us, to strengthen us, and I pray for each and every soul here today, regardless of our situations, that you would give us grace to resist the temptations that we face daily and empower us to live in holiness and obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Bob read this um, 1 Corinthians 10, but it bears repeating, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will provide an escape that you will be able to endure it. Please stand, we'll sing. He will hold me fast. Christ is holding us fast.
Before he occupied the pulpit, every time he's come through in such a wonderful way, so you know God's hand is upon him, and he know we know he's been called to be our pastor, and I'm just thankful for him for the for the wonderful message we just heard. You can't be my aid without going back memory lane, and I think of all the times that I was confronted with that uh, to give in or not give in. Oh, the sweet taste of victory when you don't give in but the awfulness when you give him. And so we could just let this word, just let it sink into our heart that we learn to really hate sin, but we come to really love our Savior.
Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we are so grateful that thy well-beloved Son is on the throne. And he's on the throne this morning as he used your servant, Pastor Bob, to speak to our hearts. What a wonderful example we have in our blessed Lord in the days of his humanity. Regardless how he was tested and tried, he won the victory for us. And he showed us how to get the victory to always rely upon the word of God. For every time Satan tempted him, he said, it is written, it is written, it is written. May we follow that same example when we're tempted. We know there are times when we think of our besetting sin, whether it isn't fair or this or that. But help us to know that God is sovereign. He's working all things after the counsel of his own will working things together for good, that we might be more conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus. And so, our Father, may your word not return void that went out today so clearly, so distinctly, so challengingly. And our Father, as we have this fellowship time downstairs, we thank you for the food we're about to eat and our time together. But remind us of our discipleship hour where our brother Jim will be leading us in, in, in discipleship. And so we just pray for our brother as he leads us. And may this be a joyful time together downstairs and come upstairs again to be fed the word of the living God. So may the God of peace shortly crush Satan under your feet. Through Jesus Christ our Lord to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Please join us downstairs for refreshments, bagels, coffee, tea. God bless you all.